Welcome to the Ortho Eval Pal podcast, where we can help you build confidence with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills. We hope you enjoy the show. And now, for your host, Paul Marquis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 315 of the Ortho Eval Pal podcast. I'm your host, Paul Marquis, and today we're going to be talking about forefoot varus. We'll be looking at the causes, assessment, and treatment. We'll be discussing what normal forefoot posture is versus a varus forefoot. We'll talk about how to determine if a patient has a locked forefoot or not. And we will go over the injuries caused by a forefoot varus and talk about how to modify an orthotic to accommodate a forefoot varus and so much more. But if you don't mind holding for a moment, we're just going to hear a word from our sponsors. You've all seen the name Chattanooga in rehab clinics. Chattanooga has been a staple for all your traditional clinical equipment needs, and they are now carrying modalities including high-powered laser, focus shockwave, and radial pressure wave devices. These modalities have the ability to transform your practice from both a clinical and revenue standpoint. Trust me, I have patients traveling over an hour to come have radial pressure wave treatment in our clinic. Click the link in the show notes to request a quote, schedule an in-person demo, or get more information on their new modalities. You can also visit their website at www.lightforcemedical.com. Welcome back, everyone. So I picked this topic of forefoot varus today, and I, I considered talking about this several times in the past. But teaching about forefoot varus is quite difficult without a little show and tell. So as luck would have it today, I had a patient come in with a pretty bad case of Achilles tendinopathy. And, you know, when you see this, you wonder, okay, well, why does a person have this? Is it overuse? Is it poor footwear? Um, is there a forefoot problem? Is there a calcaneal issue? Um, is there a lack of flexibility? So in, in evaluating this lady, we found that she had a very locked forefoot in varus. Um, she'd had surgery, which caused this and um, basically um, was just not able to touch the floor with that uh, first ray. And so I asked her if I could do a little video and she said, absolutely. And I love my patients because every time I've never had anybody refuse me when it comes to doing a video. Uh, and most of them will say, hey, anything I can do to help others um, would be great. So I'm more than happy to do it. And she was. And, and it was great. So um, in the show notes, I have a link to my most recent YouTube video, which I did today, um, showing how I evaluate this patient with a forefoot varus. And I talk a little bit about how we would um, make an orthotic to help accommodate this because hers is not correctable with stretching or strengthening. And we'll talk about this a little later in the show today. But now I just want to kind of talk a little bit about what forefoot varus is and why we even care about identifying it, okay? So if we first start off with a neutral foot structure, um, if you take a look at the, uh, you know, a patient is standing there and they're, they have 90 degrees of dorsiflexion, you look at them from the back, you take a look at this neutral heel and, and you can almost, the heel almost looks square from behind, okay? If you put your, your fingers up against the sides of it, you can almost make like a square box. And so from there, I just want to kind of describe how a neutral foot should look. And then we'll go into what a varus foot would look like. So you look at it from behind. The heel is fairly square. It sits nicely um, on the floor. And then you follow the lateral side of the foot, the lateral column, which goes to the fifth metatarsal. And that really goes down to um, the fifth phalanges. And then what we do is we go from the fifth metatarsal heads distally 
all the way across to the first metatarsal heads, which would be your transverse metatarsal arch. Um, and usually the first, first and the fifth distal metatarsal heads will touch the floor. And the second, third, and fourth kind of like to sit up in the air a little bit. And there's kind of like a spring to those. Okay, as we get older, um, that transverse metatarsal arch spreads out a little bit and um, you know because those ligaments those intermetatarsal ligaments become weaker and they just start to stretch out and so the second third and fourth metatarsal start to drop a little bit but nonetheless that that first through fifth distal metatarsal head line is what we're looking at okay now we start to come back toward the medial side of the foot coming from the you know the bunion area um, there's the medial longitudinal arch um, uh, and then we get back to the heel. So now when the patient is in mid-stance, normal heel position can be 0 degrees to 4 degrees of calcaneal eversion, okay, or a little calcaneal valgus. That's typically what we see in most people, okay. The bottom of that heel is parallel to the floor. So I'm talking about looking at this patient from behind, okay? You're you're right down on the floor, you're taking a look at that heel, and it's pretty much parallel to the floor. Well, if you could look through the foot, you should be able to see that the first through the fifth metatarsals should be flat on the floor also, right? So what we do now is we take our patient and we take them out of the weight-bearing position and we put them either prone on a table with their feet hanging off the edge of the table or I oftentimes when I'm doing orthotics have them put one knee on a chair so the knee is in a 90 degree position and I'm looking at the bottom of the foot. So the bottom of the foot is facing me, all right? So the first thing I do is I check to see that the heel rocks side to side, and it does for most people, um, and that is a good thing. We need to have some subtalar um, mobility, some calcaneal motion side to side. From there, I find subtalar neutral. So the way I do this is I take my the tip of my thumb and the tip of my index finger, and I put it kind of in the, the subtalar notch on the anterior side of the ankle. And so I then grab the distal fourth and fifth metatarsal heads and I move the ankle back and forth so that I can feel the talar head pop out and pop, you know, pop out medially, pop out laterally, and I keep moving it side to side till I feel like they're sticking out equally in a very centered position, neutral position in the subtalar joint. Then I take that ankle and I push it up into dorsiflexion while I'm holding the fourth distal, you know, the, the, the distal fourth and fifth metatarsal heads. And I lock them right there in subtalar neutral into a dorsiflex position. From there, I take my hand away from the anterior ankle and I now grab a hold of the first race of so the first metatarsal and with my thumb and index finger. And what I do is I try to pull that toe toward me and I try to see if it will drop enough so that it is now in the same plane as the heel and the fifth distal metatarsal. Now I know this is very hard to visualize, um, so please go to the video that I that I put on um, and take a look at this and you'll see what I what I mean by this and you'll understand it so much better. So if you cannot drop that first ray down, then you have what we called a locked foot for varus. Now, what is the problem with this? Well, think about it, okay? When you take a step, your heel strikes the floor. Then the lateral column 
So basically the lateral side of the foot down to the fifth metatarsal, that strikes the floor and that does a very good job of doing it with almost everybody. But if the first ray is not able to drop and get to the floor, then what happens is you have to completely drop the medial arch to contact the floor, which is what your body needs to do in order to propel itself. Okay, but then what happens when you drop that medial arch? We're going to go back to the back of the foot and we'll kind of work our way forward. The Achilles now starts to bow laterally. All right. And that's what you're going to see in this patient that we have in the video is that her Achilles, she's got this nice Achilles tendinopathy. Um, and it seems to be worse whenever she wears a loose fitting boot. Anytime she wears something that is a little more stable, she seems to do better. All right. And the Achilles does not like to bow side to side. So when that medial arch drops, the heel goes into calcaneal eversion. We now have this bowing of the Achilles side to side. The other thing that happens is you put an excessive amount of pressure on the medial side of the um, first toe and the, the, the distal metatarsal and therefore you end up with a hallux valgus or abducto valgus. Um, this will cause some callus formation in that area and you'll just get that toe you know pointing in a valgus position. Um, this will you know then turn into a bunion. Now with that medial arch falling down as much as it does your posterior tibial tendon is going to stress excessively because it's eccentrically loading to a, a further distance and it's now getting stretched a lot more um, so you could end up with a posterior tibial tendon problem um, we see people who have the shearing of this metatarsal cuneiform joint that that big old sharp bump and spur that everybody seems to have as they get older over the dorsum of the foot and it hurts where you cross your laces and the and the top of your shoe hurts it and irritates it. Well, that shearing can cause some irritation to that joint also. Having this type of foot posture, that excessive pronation or that rigid forefoot is going to cause patellofemoral dysfunction. Um, you know, we'll see people have lateral hip pain or, uh, you know, greater trochanteric bursitis, glute medius tendonitis or tendinopathy. Um, and, and, you know, every time I see somebody with lateral hip pain, I assess their feet right away. And oftentimes I'll put those folks into orthotics and they'll do very well in regards to their lateral hip pain. I mean, I can go on all day about what a forefoot, locked forefoot varus problem can cause. It's a biomechanical nightmare. So it's very important that you try to fix this, okay? Now, if it seems like you try to drop that first ray and there's a little bit of flexibility, but it's just tight, um, then you want to try to mobilize that, that first ray to drop a little bit better, okay? Without making the whole ankle drop and calcaneus go into eversion, you want to kind of keep it in subtalar neutral, but you want to try to mobilize that first ray to drop. You might want to try to activate the flexor hallucis brevis so that it can pull that um, metatarsal down and not just flex the toe, but bring the metatarsal down closer to the floor. Um, if you can get all three points, the heel, the fifth distal metatarsal head, and the first metatarsal head to touch the floor quite equally and quite easily, then you're in good shape. But if the forefoot is not flexible, like you will see in my patient who had a screw placed through the first um, you know, through the first ray and across the metatarsal, um, to the transverse metatarsal arch, you'll see that 
it is not flexible and it is very rigid. And so, you know, when you can't get that big toe down to the floor, then what you need to do is get into an orthotic and bring the floor up to the first ray or up to that distal metatarsal head. Um, so what I will do in, in this situation is I will get the patient into a custom orthotic and I will make sure that when I place them into the orthotic, I put them into that that mold or that foam block just the way I did when I assessed their forefoot in the first place and try to keep, you know, I just let that first ray stay where it is. I don't try to push it down and I definitely do not have people stand in foam blocks. It should be completely illegal to do that um, because there's no sense in making an orthotic to a flattened foot or a, comp a compensated foot. Um, so I make sure that that first ray stays up there and then we have that orthotic built up on the medial side and we have a nice little post made there um, and it's remarkable how much better patients feel after they get this. They feel like they have much better contact to the floor they contact the floor a little bit sooner uh, and it takes a lot of these excessive stresses, these abnormal, um, you know, uh, angulations at the ankle and knee and hip uh, out of the picture. And uh, the overall is so much more mechanically efficient. So um, I know I went over a lot of information here in such a short time, but please take some time to watch the video that accompanies this episode. Also, do me a favor and send me a message on the email link below the video link, and I want you to tell me if a descriptive podcast like this is just too much for you to follow. Um, is it too difficult to try to understand, or are we explaining it well enough so that you do understand it and and it does you know turn that light on and say ah I'm going to try this? Or do you always have to have a video that accompanies the podcast so it makes better sense? I know seeing it always better is is always better, but watching a video is not always convenient. And I know you may be on the road, maybe on a bike ride, you may be hiking or walking and listening to podcasts and um, I want to make sure that it is understandable for you. So please send me some feedback, positive or negative, so that we can make these um, these podcasts better and uh, fun for you to, uh, to listen to. So I would love to get your thoughts on that. Um, hope you enjoyed the show. Please tell your friends about OEP. Be kind to each other and take care. We hope you've enjoyed the show. For some more awesome content, go to orthoevalpal.com. Can't wait to see you there. 